Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who calls to us today by his word, calling us out of ourselves, out of the world, into his kingdom, into new life, through the good news that he brings to our ears. Amen. I am not a fisherman. You might be surprised looking at me, but that's true. I don't get excited about bait. I don't dream about all the lures that I might tie. I don't have a favorite fishing spot to hide from anybody else, nor do I enjoy the smell of fish. I do, however, own a fishing pole. And every once in a while, I'll spend a few hours out on a boat the lake, usually at my parents' house, just enjoying some quiet away from everything. I like to watch the kids get excited about pulling a creature out of the lake and seeing their excitement and saying, I caught a fish. But mostly I just enjoy a little bit of time away from television and email, from the ringing phones and from the chores and expectations that come with weekly life. Which means, of course, that when I do go fishing on those rare occasions, I don't go to fish. Rather, I just like to be away. Uh, putting a line in there without a hook on it is the best thing. Giving an excuse to be away from all my responsibilities. And so I'm rather taking an opportunity to set aside the stresses of life, the burdens of the day. I don't mind helping get a fish off the hook. I'm not squeamish about touching or anything like that. But all of that seems like extra work when, you're, when that's what I'm trying to get away from, right? Yeah, I'm not much of a fisherman unless that's what everybody's going out to fish does just to get away from the world. Then I'm all in. Call me a fisherman. Well, I'm not really talking about being a fisherman because there are fishermen who were disciples today, although that is part of our gospel reading, but rather to get at the truth about what fishing really is for us. It's about wanting more out of life, maybe less. It's about wanting this world to be better. And so even when I go out and uh, do not fishing, I listen to what other people talk about when they go fishing. And they always come back with bigger-than-life stories. Isn't this what they are? Isn't every fisherman the biggest liar you know? <clears throat> They're famous for this, right? They caught a little fish and they said, I fought with it forever and I took it so hard and oh man, it was the greatest day out there. Even when they catch something big and notab notable, the story is bigger and bigger than life, is it not? Fishing stories really are pointing us to a reality that we hope for rather than the reality that we have before us. They point that we're looking for a more full life some way, a more abundant life. We want something beyond the limits of what we can believe in this world. When Jesus called his disciples, they immediately followed him. And most of us take this as a kind of a tall tale, a fishing story, as it were. They left their boats and their business and their family, and immediately they followed Jesus 
out into the world. It sounds too strange to believe, doesn't it? And so we're always looking for their motivations, wondering what it was about Jesus that called them out of all of their routines. Maybe they didn't like fishing. Maybe they didn't like their family. Maybe they were just looking for a little adventure for a little while to to make their lives a little bit better than they were. Yeah, we're always wondering why it worked so well for them and why it doesn't work for us to be called into this new life. But when you read the story, there is no motivation given. It's not like Jesus said, you're just who I need. You're just the right ones. If I don't have you, my mission fails. And he had to convince them of this. No, he just says, come and follow me. And immediately, the Bible tells us, immediately they go. They didn't make a list of pros and cons and decide if it was good for them to go. They threw caution to the wind and they went. In fact, it was the word of Christ that does this. Come and follow me, opening up for them a whole entire possibility that didn't exist before he spoke to them. And in that word, he calls them. He pulls them in, catching them in his word, taking them out of their old life and into the new. If we back up a little bit in the gospel reading, we get the same thing. When Jesus says after John is arrested, the kingdom is near, the time is fulfilled, repent and believe the good news. He's saying The time is fulfilled. The kingdom is here. This world has served its purpose. Because that's what fulfilled means. It's reached its limit. Sort of like a fisherman after a long day on the lake has taken all that he can get. He's reached his limit. Or like a bucket left out in the rain, filled all the way to the top. It can't hold anything more. The time is fulfilled. The new is going to overflow the bounds. It's going to go beyond the limits. It's not going to obey the boundaries any longer. For that's what Jesus is saying. The new is taking root in the old, but it's going beyond. No longer staying in its place, but leaving the old behind, overflowing with abundance into the new. This old world can't take what Jesus is bringing. It can't hold on to what he's doing because he hasn't come in just to enhance our lives and our world just a little bit more as a step up to heaven, but rather to say the old creation has served its purpose. It is fulfilled. It is done, and the new must take it over. He says it in multiple ways. The old wineskins cannot hold the new wine. It just bursts forth. This time, this age, this creation in which we find our feet on the ground simply cannot hold and handle and make sense or contain the gospel that Jesus Christ brings into the world. His new kingdom has come to overflow 
the old. Not build upon it, but wash it away. Move it aside. Take the limits and give the limitlessness of the new kingdom. The gospel is going to take us beyond the bounds of the old world that is all fulfilled. It's going to take it all away from us and give us the new kingdom of God built in Jesus Christ that has no boundaries, no limits, no end. Jonah knew this. Old Testament prophet that we heard from. He knew God's mercy would overflow into the world. And he didn't want it. The world always seems to want to take the mercy of God and put it back into the old and say, that's as far as we want it to go. That's as far as we can handle it. And so Jonah, you know this story, would not go to Nineveh until the word came to him a second time when it took all his options away and he could do nothing but be pulled in by the word of God. He walks halfway through into this great city of Nineveh and proclaims, 40 days more and it's over for you. That's it. But there in God's word, a new reality is made. A new possibility is opened. God's word comes and the Ninevites had no idea that they would be destroyed. But in that moment... A new kingdom arrived for them. A new word was given. What they had not known before, that they were destined for destruction, now opened their ears and they believed God. They didn't sit around and say, I wonder how we could change God's mind. Maybe if we change our ways. No. Immediately they said, we're doomed. Somebody help. They repented for hearing the word open for them, a world which did not exist before God's word gave it to them. Jonah knew that God would be merciful, and he hated it. He hated it. He wanted his enemies punished. He wanted all those evil people to be drowned and killed. He wanted the world to punish them. He wanted God to live in the old. But God was not bound by Jonah's desires. God's word flowed forth, overflowing the boundaries of this world. It didn't matter that, they didn't, that he didn't want it. It also didn't matter that, they, that he did. God was going to be merciful. Tim O'Brien wrote a memoir about soldiers in the Vietnam War called The Things That They Carried. It's a very interesting read of all these chapters strung together talking about different people in his army troop. The things that they carried weren't just helmets and ammunition and guns and radios and food supplies, but they carried with them pictures and stories and letters, as well as fears and their failures, their worries, their courage, their conviction, their duty, and their desire. These broken people stuck in a world, in a war of uncertainty and unknown outcomes. 
He says in the middle of the book that if you listen to war stories, you'll know they're true when they don't try to moralize and tell you how to, how to see the best in everybody, but they just tell the truth. They tell it in a way that doesn't try to sugarcoat and make it okay. One of the best chapters, he tells his own story about growing up in Worthington, Minnesota. He was in high school working at a meatpacking plant, so he knew what it was like to see blood and he received one day in the mail a draft notice that he was going to Vietnam, and it rocked his world. He immediately left, didn't tell anybody where he was going, but he drove north. He went up to Lake Superior. He found a little resort after the season where he found a room and stayed with the caretaker for about a week. There was nobody else around, and he didn't really want to talk, but they built kind of a silent friendship of barely any words through this time, eating meals together and uh, hiking. And the caretaker's name was Elroy, and you get the sense that Elroy had seen this a few times, the people coming up to escape from the world and find their way through. And Elroy took him out one day on the fishing boat, realizing that this was a boy, a young man, that didn't know where his life was going. And he took him out on the boat and he turned his back and stopped talking for a while and just went fishing, wondering if this young man would jump and swim for Canada, giving him the opportunity to do so. And in that moment there, he makes a list, a pros and cons list. If he stays, he'll have to go to war but he'll have his family and his honor intact. If he swims for it, he'll have a whole new life, but he'll never see his family or friends, and he'll be dishonored. And there he is split on where he is to go, and in the moment he does nothing. And so he returns back to shore and goes off to Vietnam. I tell this story not as a way of moralizing, but to say... Look how we're stuck in the world. Stuck in this old world, this fulfilled time. We don't know where our lives are going. We're always stuck between decisions of right and wrong, wondering if we're on the right path. But the time was fulfilled, and Jesus called to his disciples, come and follow me, opening up possibilities that didn't exist before his word came forward. For the word does more than just inform or ask for your opinion or give you options, but it creates the reality of God's kingdom for you, a possibility that did not exist before the word came forward. So he calls, follow me, and immediately they can. They can do something that could not have been possible before he showed up into their lives. For us today, Christ's kingdom is overflowing the bounds of this old world. For his word is coming to you. You, my beloved disciples, come and follow me. Turn from yourselves. Turn from the limits of this world into the limitless, boundless kingdom that God has prepared for you. This unbelievable, tall tale of God's kingdom 
that requires nothing of you but an ear to hear. This gift beyond this world, this abundant gift of God in Christ Jesus for you. The kingdom of God is come near in Jesus Christ. Repent, turn from yourselves, believe not in this old world, but believe in the good news. Amen.